the November 2011 podcast of Ordinary Means. I'm your host, Sean Nolan, here with Matt Bowling. Hi, Sean. There he is. I was wondering where you are. This pause. This is pregnant I'm, pause. I'm, I'm hiding in Seattle. It's a sunny day, and so it's hard to get a Seattleite to stay inside on a fall sunny day. But man, oh. you've managed to do it, Sean. Well, yeah, we're, we've got a fall sunny day here, too. So, it's, Well, uh, you get a lot of them. We get very few of them, so... <laughs> Well, uh, good to be back. Uh, good to be back at the table. We're, uh, this, this month, we're going to continue something we started last month. Uh, that seems our typical pattern. Um, we began last month talking about uh, parenting the ordinary means. Uh, obviously, a huge deal, because it's one thing to talk about uh, the word sacraments and prayer. What is right preaching? What is right prayer? What is the purpose of baptism and the Lord's Supper? It's a whole nother thing when you get into those things in my kids. Uh, those, you know, how do I, how do I teach my child to love Jesus, to love his word, to love to pray, um, to just be excited about taking the Lord's Supper, um, to be uh, looking to their baptism? Yeah. I mean, how do we, how do we get kids there? I mean, it's, it's a huge question. Well, and I think too that there's we also end up wading a little bit into a debate, Sean, because there are some people that say that ordinary means only happen at church in services, and so there are some some of our friends who would say that you know this is even um, you know inappropriate to think about ordinary means at home. You, Sean, are you going to serve the Lord's Supper at your dinner table? <laughs> um, you know, and that there are people who, who, and this is an honest to goodness division, even within our theological camp, even between two seminaries with Westminster in their name, you know, about whether the ordinary means can only be in public services or whether the ordinary means extend, um, to, um, Bible studies, uh, to community groups, to, uh, individual homes at tables. Is that the ordinary means of grace or is it only when it's done publicly? And of course, if you've listened to us for a while, then, you understand that we think that they're more that Sunday is extraordinarily important, and we would never diminish that. Uh, but that the ordinary means are the ordinary means when you sit down in your chair with your Bible, uh, as much as if you sit down uh, at the table with your kids. That's still God's ordinary means of working. Yeah, and the the idea we had a podcast. Uh, I, I don't have the listing up here. Is I'm going to say middle of last year where we talked about preaching versus preaching, big P preaching versus small right. P preaching. And yep. we, we covered a little bit of this. Um, the idea that, that yes, you know, Sunday morning is the big formal uh, exercise of the ordinary means. And even those in the camp that would say that alone is the ordinary means, who would have that regulative view of the regulative principle, uh, even they have to admit that those things don't stay there on Sunday. They have to be extended. There has to be, on Sunday afternoon, an application of the sermon as the parents sit with their kids around the table. Uh, because, you know, those in a, in a very strong, coming from a very strong regulative principle position are going to be huge fans of the Puritans. Mm-hmm. And, and the Puritans were not going to let the Word of God stay only in the pulpit. No, they very much wanted to, to see. I mean, you look at uh, um, you know one of our standard forebears in terms of pastoral ministry, uh, Richard Baxter. You know, and and he's going around and he's uh, he's catechizing people in their homes. Yeah, and um, 
you know, and so I think that that uh, we would want to call that whether we do it with our kids or we do it with our congregants or whatever that we would want to call that ordinary means ministry. No doubt. Or even if you want to make the O small and the M small. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You, you do it, but the the fact is, if those are the three ways, primarily, that God works in us as Christians, as believers, through His Word through prayer, uh, through his, his revealed word or his symbolized word or his, his visual word in the sacraments, then that's going to have an effect on all of our life. It's going to affect our parenting. You know, it's it, the whole conversation that's been going on over these last years about, you know, is the gospel just something we believe at conversion or is it something that radically changes our life every day? That's, I think it's the same question. Yeah, I think you're right because it, it, um, I don't think we want to, on the one hand, underestimate, uh, the power of preaching on Sundays. We don't want to do that. It's a means God wants to use. Um, and it's a means that he's designed to use. But I also don't think that we want to underestimate, um, the prayers that I have with each of my children at night before they go to bed where we confess our sins together. There's something, oh, this word may get me in trouble, but there's something equally shaping about those two uses of the ordinary means. Oh, could I be really controversial? Go for it. <laughs> and, and, you know, this is coming from somebody who uh, I heard at, in, a, in a conference setting uh, a, a fellow pastor in my denomination say that the, uh, you know, that the confession is it was is wrong in terms of how people get saved most people don't get saved by preaching they get saved by other people coming and preaching the gospel to them and i i i take strong difference with that i do believe that it's through the word of god that people get saved okay but having said that and having you know laid down my position is 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 very um is very much to the to the right um there is something about a son learning from their father as an extension of the pastor mm-hmm. that is more powerful, perhaps. Yeah, it is oftentimes yeah. more powerful than hearing it from the, from the pastor. Now, l- let me give you a reverse to that. Okay. Youth ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big debate is, you know, the, the, there are the two extremes. There is, I have to, only the parents can teach their kids, is, right. the, is the one extreme. The other extreme is, I don't ever want to see my kid. I'm really thankful for the youth ministry because somebody else is taking care of them and I can just be my selfish self and listen to the band. Okay, right. That's, that's the other extreme, okay? Right. That's the... The product the megachurch is selling, the other one's the product that the homeschooling church is selling. And mm-hmm. and the answer is neither of those. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, there is a very nice balanced middle that we can come to, and I think at the same time that that the sermon coming through the parent who knows the child and can say, you know, did you catch what the pastor said? Isn't that so much what we're struggling with here in the you know, here in our home? Um 
is powerful in the same way that, you know, I think you and I were both saved through youth ministries. Okay, so Matt, you were, as well as I, we, we, heard, we didn't hear the gospel from our parents. No, we heard it. We heard it from peers. I, I heard it from peers, and and one gentleman who was older than me was my scoutmaster, was an elder at a conservative PCUSA church, and that's who I heard the gospel from. So, to us, uh, to you and I, yeah, it's good to hear the gospel from our. It would have been nice, but that wasn't our experience. Our experience was that we heard it from peers. Yeah. Now, I had an interesting experience beyond that, and I think it it reflects something of the experience of somebody who grows up in a Christian home, Okay, uh, that I had a place, because I really I came to faith through uh, the parachurch. Um, there was some preparation for that in the home, very little. Right. Uh, some, heard, you had some Lutheran background, didn't yeah, you? Heard yeah. the gospel in through the parachurch, but then I actually needed to go, I, I ended up, it was one of those crazy things, had a girlfriend, wound up in another state, felt like I was in another country, and um, and in the midst of all that, wound up at a at a youth rally that a church was putting on. And what that did for me was it said to me, or God spoke to me in the midst of that and said, do you see that people all around the world believe these same things that you've been hearing? And I realized at that point that Christianity was bigger than me. Mm. And I think it's important, particularly for kids who grow up in Christian homes, to to come to a place where they hear somebody who's not their parents say, um, Christianity is real to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. For them to see somebody living it out, you know, that's not just mom or dad. Right. You know, there, I th- I think there's a sense. You know, we talk about the rebellious teenage years. That rebellion really is not in in a Christian context. Is not rebellion. It's it's merely the child maturing and desiring to have their own opinions and take on greater responsibility. It's mm-hmm. it's a part of the maturation process. Right. And I think in the midst of that is discovering that your parents aren't lying to you about Jesus. Mm. Mhm. Um and so, you know, I mean we talked about the whole hypocrisy thing last month. Right. That the that the first the first thing every parent has to ask themselves is am I really a Christian? Am mm. I converted or am I just passing on a cultural thing to my kids? Right. Rather because, than a heart transformation that I've actually experienced and I'm experiencing. Exactly. And and if if I'm not, if I'm lying to myself, you know, one of two things will happen. The child will leave the home and they will either um, come to the conclusion that my dad was a hypocrite and therefore I don't need Christianity, or they will meet another Christian, see a vital Christianity, and recognize their dad's hypocrisy while still believing. And you obviously you hope for the latter. Right. Absolutely. Um, but it's it's going to be one of the two. Yeah. You know, maybe the third is I get away from home. My dad was a solid believer. I see solid Christianity. And 
and I realize, and it all comes together and I realize it was true. The transformation is possible. And, and maybe it's there that my, you know, that my conversion takes place or at least there that I acknowledge uh, the, the rightness of this God that I've always been taught to worship. Well, and I think, too, that, that one of the things that has been impressed upon me in recent years uh, about what you were just talking about is um, if, if I, you know, we spent a good amount of time on the gospel-centered movement, and there's actually a good article we need to post, John, you got to remind me to remind you to post it up there. There's a good one that was put out just a couple of days ago on the gospel-centered movement. But one of the things that I think the gospel-centered movement has been helpful in is to realize uh, that following the Apostle Paul, when he talks with Peter, uh, about his pulling back from eating with uh, the Gentiles, yeah. is Paul doesn't say, "Hey, you broke the rule," said Kellerism, but the, you broke the rule about eating with Gentiles. The new rule is you're supposed to eat with them. That's not what Paul says. <laughs> Paul says um, you're not walking in line with the gospel. And what he's trying to clue Peter into, and Peter gets this, and he reflects it more in his writings later after this incident, is that the gospel has ramifications for all of life. And that if we're the kind of parents who've taken this gospel word and we've ingested it and we've applied it across life, we have given our kids a framework, a gospel framework within which to interpret all of life. And that's the gift we have to give away to them as parents. And that's a big thing to give away because it's a big thing to gain in the first place. It's a big thing to even learn how to do that in the first place. My wife and I, neither of us grew up as believers. We're trying to figure this thing out. So that we can give it away, um, and that's a. I think that's a crucial thing. Is that a lot of kids are given a very trite, bounded, very minimalist Christianity that's passed on to them from their parents, instead of something that's like, I understand the whole world. This gospel mm-hmm. thing makes helps me make sense of the whole world. I even get why other kids are rebellious. I get that because I see how the gospel applies to everything. That's the word we've got to give away to kids. If the gospel is God sin Jesus or creation fall redemption. Okay, if the if this is the gospel, it's it's the it's the good news that we can be uh freed of our sin by the savior return to God. Mm-hmm. That gives our children a whole different context for everything that they will encounter in life. Exactly what you're saying, you know, that when when something goes wrong in my life, I have three places to look. I look to God and I say, God, what are you doing? What are you teaching me? I look to myself and say, how did I bring this mess on? And then I look to Jesus and I say, now how do we fix this? How do we bring reconciliation? Mm-hmm. Right? And so so I've we have this context with the gospel. That, that, as you're saying, is going to affect every aspect of life, and it's going to be, I've used this illustration before, I even used this illustration on, on Sunday in my sermon, you know, it's when, my, when I say to my child, you just lied to me, and they say, and they in return say, yeah, I lied, but the reason I lied was, and they make an excuse. Hmm. And so I come back and I say to my child, are you trying to fix the problem or are you letting Jesus fix the problem? Mm. That's Mm. giving them a context where it's not just, hey, be good, 
because Jesus would be good. Right. It's not moralism. It's you really messed up here. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, there's nothing I can do about your sin. There's nothing you can do about your sin. You're just going to have to give that one to Jesus, chalk it up to the cross. Don't quote, don't quote me on that last sentence. <laughs> chalk it up to the cross. You know, give you know, lay it on the cross and say, okay, that's that's another mark. But I have a redeemer, and I know that my redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand on the earth. Um, and I'm gonna. So now I got to move back to God. Now I got to get back in the camp. Uh, I was unclean, but now I'm clean. Uh, well, and I think that that what's crucial about that is that um, I, I have been provoked recently. Um, to think through, and, and this is the the cleanest way that I've been able to figure it out for myself. It's noon. My day has not gone the way that I'd hoped it to. I'm feeling bad about myself and down about life. What do I turn to? And in that moment... Coffee? I find out... Do you turn to coffee? Uh, I I don't turn to coffee. I only drink coffee in the morning. Okay. I use Reese's peanut butter cups. Usually, that's that's what I. I okay, yep. I'm, I'm kidding. I've got. I, well, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know if it was true or not. But what you turn to, whether it's um, that you, um, you know, you read some internet news, you um, you go have a nice lunch, um, whatever you turn to, in your moment of stress, is your savior in that moment. And the question is always, will I say try to save myself somehow? This is what your your conversation with your kid. Will yeah. I try and save myself somehow? Or will I in that moment entrust myself to God? Will I trust myself to my faithful Savior who can save me even in my distress and my hopelessness? He can sympathize with me. He's interceding for me. He knows how hard life is to live because he lived it. Mm. And he, I, he was not tempted in any way that I'm not. I can go to him with any pain or struggle that I have because he has he has lived life like I have. And I find out in that moment who my Savior is and what my Savior is. That's to be what's taught to our kids. In my mind, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. let's get practical. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we get the word of God into our kids? Now, you know, we started saying that sometimes somebody else is going to do it. And we've all been there. We all know that at some point, uh, we figure out that our parents aren't always right and we just need to hear it from somebody else. But we also all agree that, yes, it is the parent's responsibility for the education of the child. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the parent's responsibility uh, to carry on. I'm, I'm a firm believer in family worship. Uh, Absolutely. It's the parents have to be right there leading the kids into spirituality. They need to lead the kids to see what it is that they do that we do, you know, when we get sit down with our kids, it isn't just, okay, here's the time of family worship. Um, I don't ever come to God besides this, but I wanted to teach you guys how to have, you know, a hypocritical time with your kids when you're older. <laughs> um, you know, but it's saying, it's gathering our kids and saying, okay, now let's, let's actively think about this. Let's, let's, 
let's really bring God into our home and and make a covenant with him. Hmm. Um, you know, we have something, our family has something we call a family covenant that we review uh, usually every year. Nowadays, it's it's every few years, and and just asks, where do we want to be as a family? What is where is God taking us? Where has God brought us? What have we learned in these last years? Mm-hmm. Um, what what am I learning? How's Dad growing me? Yeah. Or how is God growing Dad? You yeah. Know, and our kids to realize that we consider ourselves works in progress. Well, and you know that's that's the thing I I really stress this with with my congregation is. Your kids have to know you as a sinner. They have to know, because otherwise they won't know what to do with their sin. Yep. Unless they see you repenting to them. So, for example, they did something, yes, it was wrong, but you blew up. Your anger far outweighed the level of their sin. And so you come to them and you say, you know what? Daddy was wrong to get that mad at you. A child learns in that moment something about repentance. Mm-hmm. Whereas the dad that hard-heartedly says, "Oh, I'm not repenting to my kid. He just, he did something wrong, and you know he'll he'll figure it out. He's the one that needs to repent." Right. That's not that's not a heart that's going to teach our kids anything about repentance. Not going to do it. They're not going to be receptive, and then this is this is our question. They're not going to be receptive to the Word of God then, mm-hmm. because the Word of God will be to them as it was to Luther. You know, because Dad is a Dad of only of wrath. Luther, for Luther, God was a God only of wrath, and any time he saw that phrase, the righteousness of God, all he saw was his imperfection, and that he could never be close to God. Yeah, in, yeah, that imperfection was not. You could There was nothing that could be done with it. It was just hung there, just hung there. Sean, do you think that people other than us should give the word of God to our kids? You know, are Sunday that, schools yeah, the legit? Old, are, yeah, Sunday school you know, teacher. Club, are they legit? Yeah, you know what? I think it's. I think it's interesting because um, you have varying degrees of this. Um. Even within, I mean, the biggest place you see that is within what we call the homeschooling community. Uh, but within that homeschooling community, you see huge leaps and huge differentiations. You've got, you know, you've got the only, the parents and the pastor can teach the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you've got the, the ones pastor, who say... The pastor's a little subject sometimes, too, kind of like, hmm, we'll <laughs> oh, be evaluating what you, you know, say, pastor. That is true. That is we true. Can, we may correct it to our kids this afternoon. Do you just watch what you say? Yeah, yeah, that the <laughs> parents are. Uh, I've seen that. So the yeah. but then there but then there's a middle ground where you know when they're young it's okay for them to have a Sunday school teacher, you know. But we got to get them into church pretty quick, you know. And then there's you know the obviously the full extreme the other direction is, you know, our church has has children's church. It has it has youth church. It has college church, and you know, except for maybe a special event, you might not see the inside of the sanctuary um, until you're in your 30s. <laughs> You're pretty close. Um, yeah. And that's just this. This should not be. And see, honestly, what's happening is is the the hardline 
only the parents can teach the kids. They're reacting against the opposite extreme. Mm-hmm. Let me let me tell you a little bit, bit about a um, uh, a youth ministry that we're doing. Um, we're call I don't know if we're going to call it this. This is my this is going to be my suggestion. So this is very this is very much in its early stages. But we have a lot of high schoolers right now in our church, mm. and we want to do something special for them. Uh, we have long. Uh, we have for a long time uh, bemoaned the fact that despite the fact we preach parents lead your kids in spirituality, many of them don't. And so we've our elders are often asking the question, how do we teach our parents? Because the parents have such a so much bigger place in their kids' lives. How do we teach the parents to get the gospel and to to carry that the word? And prayer into the home. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're what we're doing is we want to meet both of those. We want to we want to answer the errors of the kids never with the parents, and the kids always with the parents. We want to answer the errors on those two extremes with something that I'm I'm suggesting we call engage. Mm-hmm. And what it is is it's going to be an evening where um, the parents and the kids interact on a couple different levels. The first level is that the kids are being taught separately from the parents. The parents have their own teacher where they will um, – where we will talk about these issues of parenting. How do I engage with my teenager? How do I um, – how do I have the kind of relationship with my teenager that leads them to Christ and – so that they're not walking away from the Lord at the end of this? Mm-hmm. Um, age of opportunity kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, age of opportunity kind of stuff. Then the kids... It's, That's a book, if you didn't know that, by the way. Yes, uh, Paul Tripp. Yeah. Age of opportunity, must read if you have a high schooler or ever plan on having a high schooler, a teenager. Um, whereas the kids, what we're doing is is we're asking them to en- learn to engage not only with their parents, um, but with the world. Hmm. And, you know, like right now, our kids are going through uh, Do Hard Things, the Harris Brothers book, um, and asking those questions of, you know, is my life just about playing video games and wearing nice clothes? Hmm. That's great. Or is my life about serving Christ? And then, you know, and then so that the, the idea here is this separation of the parents and the child is is not to separate the parent and the child. It's to bring them together. It's mm-hmm. so that the kids are thinking about the things that the adults are thinking about and so right. that the parents are thinking about the things their teenagers are thinking about. And when you bring them back together, you know, there, there is, there's common ground. They've, they're able to communicate in a way they weren't able to communicate an hour ago. Right, right. Lord willing. Lord willing. And, and so, you know, and we're going to – I know we're going to get – we're going to get hassled by the people who say, no, no, no. How could you ever separate – teenagers from parents they should be learning like adults absolutely i'm right with that you know we're not we're not just modeling the world's version of youth ministry because the world's version of youth ministry is entertain our kids for a while so that we don't have to deal with them and that's not youth ministry that's that's youth suicide or youth babysitting youth babysitting but it's suicide for their christianity right because we're not actually saying the gospel has real relevance to the life of a teenager. Yeah. And to the relationship between a teenager and his parents. Yep. That's what we need to teach. Yeah, one one other thing, Matt, too, that I, I think about here is Sunday school teachers. 
-hmm. wonder if churches regularly ask the question, are our Sunday school teachers converted? Hmm. Because I, I think there's a lot of, normally it's, if you're willing to teach Sunday school, we'll let you teach Sunday school. But the problem is, if you're not converted, you're gonna, you are gonna be teaching moralism. You're going to be teaching a kind of Christianity that actually is is dangerous to small children. Oh yeah, because you're not going to model, you're not going to reshape them uh, with the gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If the gospel is not shaping you, you're not going to shape other people either, under your sway by it. That's the basic idea. And and that's the, that's the first point of getting the word of God into our kids is if it's not shaping us, it can't be shaping them. Right. So if you want your kids to take something home from the sermon, you have to take something home from the sermon that you're willing to share with your kids so that they can get an idea of what it means. Like, we'll, we'll say to our kids, you know, what did you learn in the sermon? And of course, the little ones tell us the story of the text. Right. Which but, is good. Uh, we, yeah. Listening comprehension is a good first step. Absolutely. Narrating back. It's very important stuff. But we want our teenagers to be saying... Um, well, you know, I learned that that I'm too, you know, that I'm, I'm, that I really struggle with laziness, or you know, my laziness keeps me from worshiping God daily, or I I see this idol in my life, or I've, you know, the sermon today really struck me with how powerful the promises of God are. Mm-hmm. You know, we want them to be thinking about those kinds of things. Because, right. again, our goal is that by the time our kids are teenagers, they're able to function in adult society, that they're able to function at least on some level as an immature adult, but on some level as an adult. That's what we're pointing them towards. We're not pointing them towards the perpetuation of youth, but yes. towards the, uh, the acceptance of adulthood. Uh, yeah, we don't want our boys to be bands or, you know, boy men. <laughs> right. Ben, yeah. what is it? No, that would be Ben. That wouldn't work. There's a yeah. book that was just recently written called them Bands. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the – yeah, we we don't want them to be perpetual youths. We want them – we want them to be godly adults and we are raising them – see, I think the, the world's youth ministry um, actually feeds the perpetual youth idea because it – you're giving – you're giving because, high schoolers – By segmenting you and treating you like a kid and not as a real adult, you're not one. We're signaling you're not a real adult. Yeah, we're giving, we're giving high schoolers to babysitters. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and it's just sense. not going to – yeah, they're, they're not – whereas we need to be engaging with our kids and saying, wow, you know what, uh, little Sally little – Sally, we're talking about a teenager here. You know, wow, my daughter or my son, um, they really have this vision for this this ministry or this way that they can serve God in their life instead of saying to them, no, I don't have time for that. Go play your DS. Go watch a video. Go do your homework. Actually getting behind them and supporting them Mm-hmm. In 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 stretching, um, you know, in 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 being stretched, right? As a person, mm-hmm. you know, so that and because we are raising our kids to leave us, yes. And when we lose sight of that, 
And they leave us with the word of God in their hearts yeah. with the ability to continue to feed themselves. Mm-hmm. We need to know what the end goal of our discipleship of our kids is. We've got to have that clear in sight so that we do the things between here and there so that that actually happens and they're a functioning disciple of Christ when they walk out of our house. Yeah. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. the concept. But Sean, one thing I'm curious, um, you kind of skirted the question here a little bit, so I'm going to ask it again. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you think stuff like um, Awana or Pioneer Clubs is, can be a useful tool in the parents' tool kit? This is what I'm going to say. If you are a parent who is concerned about others teaching your kids, then go along for the ride. Because we as parents are not infallible. We do have a few things to learn about how to teach our kids the Word of God. And something like, you know, if there is an Awana program near you, if there is a What's the other one you mentioned? Pioneer Clubs. Pioneer Clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, there are programs out there. We have a ministry here in Pennsylvania called Child Evangelism Outreach. Um, you know, there are there are ministries that can aid the church. You know, at the end of the day, I wish the church was doing these things. I, I guess Awana. Is Awana normally put on by a church? I've never been involved with Awana. Absolutely. That's, okay. So, yes, it can be. It can be an extension and. I think it can be very valuable. I mean, you and I both said that we we valued the the learning that we had outside of our our parents' home. Now, part of that was you and I both came from non Christian homes, right? Um, you know, this is going to be a slightly different conversation. I, I I do wish, and maybe we'll what we can do is bring to the table uh, somebody who grew up as a covenant child. Hmm. Uh, I would love to include someone like that in this conversation because uh, we don't have that experience we don't have we're that experience so we're just and, you know we're speaking you know, from, out of our ignorance right um right. yeah i would say let me just say this we've had yeah. our kids in awana in two different states and um both in pennsylvania and here in seattle and i think it's a lot like sunday school it depends what you do at home with it you know is it a night out for the parents awana is it a date night for the parents and it's basically just a glorified kid sitting? Or do you actually sit down with the kids and you learn the verses with them and you talk about them and you try and see the word of God take root in their hearts? Uh, we do the same thing with Sunday school. We've just, our younger kids Sunday school this year, we've gone um, in teaching the catechism to the kids. And there's one of the prime reasons that we did that is that there are sheets that go home with the kids and those sheets get pulled out. And we go through the catechism questions, and we talk about them. And so I think that the the usefulness of an external program to the home is only as good as the way that that external program is used as a tool in the hands of the parents to shape the kids with the Word of God. Um, and so that's that's my basic take. It's not a it's not a giveaway. It's not an excuse. It's a responsible use. If you've got an irresponsible use, it's just a date night out. It doesn't really, you don't have a plan for how you want to use it with your kids or what you're praying for your kids, their hearts to be changed, them to be struck with the gospel, anything like that. Um, then, you know, it's just a convenient way to not have to hassle with your kids that night. Yeah, I think you, you in bringing that up, sitting down with our kids, doing the catechism, doing Bible memory, um, I want to encourage families, when you do that, uh, 
that is not the time for one of the parents to leave and go do something else. Mm-hmm. You've got to show to your kids that this is more important than anything else I have to do. And first thing you got to do is believe that yourself. Mm. But then mm. what you've got to do is say, I really want to memorize this first too. <laughs> right. You know, and, and you go through all the struggle of memorizing it so that they can see you struggling to memorizing it. Have, have them question you. <laughs> That's good. You know, you know, mom, dad, what does first Peter two, four say? I have no idea right. what first Peter two, four says. I just made that verse up. It's probably I'll have to go look it up later. You know, my, mom, dad, who made you? God. What else did God make? All things. You know, let them quiz you. Right. Do it for your own heart as well as theirs. And um, and I and I think the the, the value I, I cannot underplay the value of your kids seeing you struggling to love Jesus. Mm. I cannot Absolutely. underplay that value in getting the Word of God into them. Um, because when they see that you're dependent on the Word of God, they will learn that dependence. Um, I, I'm struck by the fact that you know we have these words faith, trust, believe, very Christian ease words, mm-hmm. and they and they almost mean nothing today. You know, we talk about people having their faith. Uh, you know, we talk about um, you know this is what I believe, without actually literate, uh, you know, bringing out and drawing out what it is we actually believe. I think the the thing we need to see is that what those words mean is a new word. I'm going to give a new word, and that word is dependence. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, we've that's recommended a, a number John. of times Praying Life by Paul Miller. Yeah. Um, that's that book. He, he stresses that that childlike dependence, that Jesus chooses the disciples because they were the most childlike, that Jesus himself is is very childlike, in that he says things like, I only do the things I see my my father doing. Mm. And that we need to be childlike. We need to be dependent. And so when our kids... Family worship is not just a time, again, like Sunday morning, it's not just a time to check off the, the list, okay, we did church. It's it's to sit down and say, um, you know, and learn that dependence. You know, and I think that that's the, that's the point that I was wanting to make earlier about when it gets to noon and you're stressed is you find out where your dependence is. If you hunker down like I typically do and you just kind of bull ahead, then you're dependent upon yourself. You can turn to a substance. You can turn to news. You can turn to pornography. You can turn to a whole variety of things. I've seen it all as a pastor about what people turn to. But functionally, that's what they're dependent upon in that moment is have they learned functional dependence upon God? Yeah. That when they get to the end of their resources, that they know there's a God there who's unstoppable, who is an ever-flowing stream of living water, who can give them resources easily by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Let's, let's, let's not add any more ignorance to that. Let's, let's end it right there. Um, it's a great conversation, and I, I would love to hear on the blog 
you know, let's hear your parenting stories, your successes, your failures, um, your questions. You know, what do we do in certain circumstances? Uh, coming back to these first principles, coming back to the word, the sacraments, and prayer in our parenting, I, I think, can just be a beautiful, beautiful thing and in a way that we can recognize anew the power of the gospel in the lives of sinful parents and sinful kids. Mm. All of us in need of a Savior. Absolutely. Uh, Well, the Lord richly bless you as you pursue him through his ordinary means. Mm.